And that's why everybody gets discouraged in the long-term rental market Makes a lot because of sense. they're like, oh, my God. And they so, they're celebrating with their wife, toasting champagne, and, like, the first profit check comes in, it's 250 bucks. Great experiences build great leaders. Great leaders build great teams. This is Building Great Sales Teams. All right, guys, welcome back to the Building Great Sales Teams podcast. I've got a special guest for us today. Today I have with us Jeff Smith. He's the founder at Tactical Empire, which is a men's leadership group with a focus on financial freedom. And uh, he's a real estate investor, overall badass. You know, I've known him for about uh, two years. We met in Apex. And uh, it's always been one of those things that I, I felt like we've always kind of been aligned, but not really had anything to do together yet. And then uh, you reached out last week uh, to speak at your uh, event. And uh, I was honored, first of all, but then I started looking into the group and I was like, hey, I want to be a part of this. So it was like, he asked me to speak. And then like two hours later, I was in the group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was funny the way that worked out. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Excited. And I, I was I was just as pleased and excited to see that you wanted to hop into the group. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to have you. I think you'll be a huge resource and an asset to the, to the men in the group. No, I appreciate that. Um, I went through my building an intentional legacy talk and, you know, the first time I gave that talk, we obviously recorded it and it ended up being an episode in the podcast later on. So whenever you do three episodes a week, every now and then you got to like throw something in there just to have an episode and stay consistent. But so some of the listeners have heard that talk, but uh, in person, it's a lot different, I think. And uh, I really enjoyed myself today because I love going into groups like outside of Apex and outside of RBO and just like meeting these other men and, and telling them that story, you know, and then you can see their kind of head shake after a while and stuff. And they, they're dealing with the same things. You sure. Know? Sure. I, I think it was a very impactful speech and I was super excited that you brought it to the group. I, I think it, it did, it, it did a lot for today's dialogue and mm -hmm. conversations. So I appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Tell me a little bit about your history. You know, I know you were in the military. You were in special special operations. How do you go from that to now, you know, being owning and being responsible for 68 Doors? Oh, yeah, it's I, I don't even really talk about my military service that much. Mm -hmm. I, I, I was in special operations, yes. Uh, I enlisted immediately after 9-11 and, and mm -hmm. kind of it was it seems like an eternity ago. And so that's why I really don't talk about it too much mm -hmm. because like I'm more forward focused on like what have I done recently and mm -hmm. what am I doing now? Because I, I in the interim, I spent 18 years in the corporate world and I also owned a gym for 11 years. Yeah, I started from scratch and, and then we started building up this real estate portfolio in the last four or five years. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, we have we have 68 rentals at this point. Um, <clears throat> The, the way we got there, I mean, it's it's just been a pursuit of growth for me personally throughout the entire time. I mean, mm -hmm. I knew that I didn't really want to be in the corporate world yeah. for a while. Um, and so stepping away from that and going full into fully into 
the entrepreneur space is something that's been really good and fulfilling for our family mm-hmm. um, because we've been able to engineer the exact lifestyle that like Kirsten and I desired for our family. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we have these filters that we run our entire decision-making process through. I but, love that. But I really knew that for us, I, there, there needed to be assets and passive income backing up what we were trying to do because I, I know the type of freedom that develops for you when you when it comes to the decision making process of what you have to do and what you want to do mm-hmm. um, having young kids and things like that times the most important thing to me hell yeah it should be for everybody but like for me that that time is finite like our oldest is 10 she theoretically could be out of the house in eight years um, and so that's a very short period of time she's already halfway lived the period of time that she's going to live with us potentially Mm -hmm. and so when putting that into perspective i mean i knew that the priority for me was on uh freedom of time and freedom of location and flexibility and what we were doing and because i i didn't want to have four kids grow up and leave our house and then be like i've got five more years to work and then it'll be our exit strategy so i i wanted to do work-life integration yeah, the whole time. And so we've been able to be moderately successful along mm-hmm. that journey. And uh, it, it's it's been very fulfilling. I mean, it hasn't all been roses and right. great times. But I mean, lots of lessons learned, lots of tweaking, lots of asking a lot of questions on what's serving us, what's not serving us. Mm-hmm. And what are we happy with? And, and what do we want to change? And so that it's, it's been it's been a fluid process, but it's been good. No, that's great. What can you walk me through the decision making process from you, you said how many years in the corporate world? 18 total. But I it's a weird story. But I was in the corporate world. I started when I was 19. And mm-hmm. then um, so I worked there like three years, two, two years, almost three. Mm-hmm. And then 9-11 happened. And I enlisted in the military right after 9-11. But the weird thing was they didn't have HR policies and shit like that for for leaving at that point in time. Right. Because I didn't go like National Guard or Reserves. I went fully enlisted. Mm-hmm. And our HR policy at the time was like, sure, go. And we'll keep accruing time in service at the corporation. And I was like, I don't think you guys understand what's going on. I'm leaving. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not doing one weekend a month, all this. But right. they didn't have policy for it at the time. And they were like, if you come back within five years, um, we'll give you a, a job you would have obtained had you been there. And uh, I was like, sure. I don't know if I'll ever come back or not, but like, that's fine. Yeah, and, if you guys want to do that, right. you know. Yeah. But it, it's also kind of awesome when you think about it. It was like, amazing. Yeah, I, I was very fortunate. I mean, I came back. I had a bunch of accrued time. I, I, as far as years of service, I also had a bunch of accrued vacation and other mm-hmm. every, everything else. I mean, so it, you, you came back in the corporate world, and at this point, you were in it for another fifteen years. You're about what 38, 37 years old at this point. Uh, yeah, at the B- time before you took that leap into sure. the gym. Yep. So there had to be something that... Not before the gym. The oh, gym okay. I was doing them congruently. Oh, I see. So we opened the gym in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still did the corporate job for seven more years. Wow. So, so you know what I like about that, though, is that you're starting... There is no option to work in the business. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So immediately you're starting from like, okay, I have to run this like a business owner would versus... 
you know, showing up and doing the classes and being the manager and all that type of stuff. So what was what was that journey like? Yeah, um, it was it was difficult. I mean, I did I did do coaching of classes and stuff like that at the beginning. I mean, it was nice because I mean, like you you coach before you work, right? Five a.m., six a.m., seven a.m. Mm-hmm. Go to work, come back at night, do classes at night. It, I mean, when people were working out, it was kind of off hours of actual office time yeah and so um from that perspective i did run some things mm-hmm. myself early on but like but i i was focused on that scaling and removing myself from the business as quickly as possible um there's a lot of lessons to be learned there i i had done real estate before um i bought my first apartment complex in 2006 mm-hmm. and uh, that was in illinois before we moved to texas and so I had experience in real estate previously, but like I had worked with contractors, handymen, all that stuff. Uh, but the gym was a, a new animal in that it was a service-based business. It's and a people so, business. Yeah, yeah, way different, mm-hmm. way different. So there, there was a learning curve there for me uh, that was a little bit different. And uh, it took me probably three years, maybe four, mm-hmm. to get it figured out at all. And uh, longer than it should have. I probably would have figured it out sooner had I not had, like, a good job mm-hmm. and, and good income. that I. You would have been forced to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so uh, from that standpoint, it kind of made me lazy and created bad habits maybe and made the, the learning curve longer than necessary. Mm-hmm. But once I got it figured out, it, it, was, it was pretty smooth. We ended up owning the gym for another seven more years after that we owned it through covid and everything else and ended up selling it last year last may Mm -hmm. and uh getting out of that business because it just wasn't serving us anymore yeah um standpoint of like staff turnover and how much involvement it took from me and then everything else we had going on like i was buying i was buying rental properties like gangbusters then Mm -hmm. and we bought 35 probably in a year wow and uh how do you you know, and I know this takes us down a rabbit hole, but at the same time, there is a lot of people in sales, in leadership, that are preaching, investing to their guys, but not actually doing it. You know, not in a real sense in real estate. It's in these little crypto things or, you know, the stock market or, yeah. you know what I mean? And so how do, you, how do you even, I can't even fathom getting 35 doors in a year or purchasing 35 properties, which resulted in, you know, 40-something doors or whatever yeah. the case was. Um, how do you even go about doing that in a year? Well, it becomes a business, it, and, you, and you, have to, you have to scale it quickly and understand the infrastructure necessary to support something like that because mm-hmm. there's carrying costs to it. There's, there's trades going everywhere, construction going on mm-hmm. constantly because most of the stuff I had, I bought it, I, I bird it, which is buy, yeah. rehab it, um, refinance, rent it, and repeat. And right. uh, so... I, I did that with most of the properties because there was equity capture on the way in by doing that work. Mm-hmm. So I was able to come in with 25, 30% equity in every property because I, I would buy them at 50 cents on the dollar and then rehab them and refinance them. And uh, so it was a lot of work. Yeah. And, and, and so from that standpoint, you, you really have to understand that it's not investing like, hey, I'm going to put $1,000 a month into that investment and then right. walk away from it because um, it was very hands-on during that period of time but mm-hmm. I mean it, it worked out very advantageously for us because we we got in started buying in 2018 and then I mean we rode the appreciation the wave. wave of yeah. 
yeah, I mean, we made a lot of money during that period of time, which is through through 2021 and 22, and and we'll make a lot more money in the next couple of years too because of the housing shortage. So, mm-hmm. I mean, what can I specifically answer for you as far as like how do you get into that? Because like I understand it, and I understand it as an asset. Like the the thing I like about real estate above really any other form of investing is like it's something I can touch it's tangible I understand it Mm -hmm. because I understand the the financial side of it as well but I also like it from a standpoint of it's really hard to screw it up if you're willing to be patient with it because if you just buy 10 houses and just hold on to them for 20 years they'll they'll make you a lot of money yeah most people that lose money in real estate either do it because they don't understand it or they lose money because they want it too quickly. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not an instant gratification type thing. Like you, yeah. you might buy in a year that you, you may lose 3% mm-hmm. on your overall property value or something like that. But like if you hold it for 20 years, just like the stock, people have no problem throwing their money in the stock market and mm-hmm. it loses money for a year, but it gains money for eight years and they, they, they rave about it. They're like right. 30 years and only lost money two years. And, uh, but with a house, it's, it's virtually the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mean, you're going to ride that wave. It's, it's a tangible asset. I like the liquidity of single family homes, meaning you can most of the time, if you take a single family home, you can sell it within 45 days and mm-hmm. access your cash. And so from that standpoint, it gives me a lot of security and that if I have to peel some things off and I need $100,000 here or there, like I could sell one and, and get that cash within right. a month and a half. And so people think it's very like it, you lock up your capital and you don't mm-hmm. not as much as you think certain asset classes you do. Like if you buy an industrial building, like you might sit on that thing for 18 months if you need to liquidate it. Right. And so you've got to find the right buyer. You've got to price it right. But single family homes, the the supply and demand curve dictates that you can sell that thing pretty fast if Mm -hmm. you're willing to take a little bit off the price or sell it at a a market rate and not try to make a premium. Yeah. I think, I think it's all context, right? If you're a fairly new investor like me, it's like fast is tomorrow, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, okay, if I put money in the stock market, if I put money in, you know, one of these other um, digital mediums, uh, I can get it back out tomorrow or the next day. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I think that's what, you know, stops people from investing in real estate. It's like, oh, I won't have access to my cash, you know? But that's the leap they have to take, yeah. right? To where um, they can get into it. So I guess the... The, the thing that's mind-blowing to me is, like, you know, not ever really having good credit for most of my life. You know what I mean? And then, yes, I have access to a lot of cash and stuff like that, but then my business always needed it, you know? And so I'm finally at the point where I have control of my cash flow, and it's like, could I buy 35 doors in the next year? You know what I mean? That's, that's crazy to me, you know? It's like the leverage piece, right? Because maybe 35 doors is roughly seven or 8 million in real estate or something like yeah. that. And, you know, and so, you know, the idea that, okay, if I do half a million this next year, I can leverage seven or 8 million in real estate just blows my mind. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's a piece most people don't understand because mm-hmm. like a lot of 
a, a lot of people that are thinking about getting into real estate, their their concern is like they're buying a five hundred thousand dollar asset, and they think that they they can lose five hundred thousand dollars, and and you can't, you yeah. can't it, like you have an asset mm-hmm. of, of some kind. Right. At the end of the day, I mean, think it burned down, you still have a lot mm-hmm. worth something. Yeah. And uh, so, it, it, plus you only have to bring. 50,000 to, I mean, or less, even mm-hmm. in certain circumstances, to a $100,000 to get that $500,000 asset. And so you don't have, like, you go to the stock market, you want $500,000 of shares, you have to bring $500,000. Mm-hmm. If you if you go buy real estate, you can bring a hundred grand and get a $500,000 asset that could appreciate at 10% this year mm-hmm. on the 500, not your 100. Right. So... If you yeah, you're making money on money that you haven't spent, basically, or you haven't um, locked up. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. And then if you're rehabbing it, then you get that money right back. Sure. And you do it again. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly. the Burr method, yes. right? Yes. So you know, I understand some of those like entry level concepts for sure. And there's there's a lot of different ways to get into it too, with being able to stack up those properties with commercial lending and stuff like that, mm-hmm. where where you you get into some more sophisticated. Um, methods of financing that you you don't have to outlay your own cash as much because ultimately you want to use other people's money to, mm-hmm. to build up your assets. Um, and so there's a lot of different ways to do it, but y- you absolutely could buy 35 properties in a year. There's, there's no question in my mind about it. Mm-hmm. I've seen it done. I've done it. Yeah. And, and so. I, I have, I've seen a lot of people that either, no, honestly, you know, what I, I don't see it from this, you know, because I've been around sales orgs, you know, my whole career. And so I don't see the sales orgs owners doing it. I see the top reps, a lot of top reps, like in security, like Vivint, they're they're really good at it, right? So so most of them come from a Mormon background, right? So they, they go and they spread the word for two years, and then they go get picked up by a company that does door-to-door. And then, like, so, like, uh, Brody Fawcett is one of them. He was a top event sales rep, right? And he made a decision at some point. He was like, hey, I'm not going to knock on doors forever. I'm not going to lead sales teams forever. I want to start architecting my ideal life, yep. right? And um, now he's got, you know, something like 30 or 40 doors, all personally owned. He's got his house in Hawaii. He's got his house in Arizona, his house in New York. You know what I'm saying? And he, his, it seems like he's on vacation all the damn time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And he is because he can work remotely. He's he's making offers or he's getting into different real estate deals, whatever the case is. Um, so that's that's the, like, when I consult with a, a, another company, you know, this is the part that I learned in mastermind groups that I didn't have before. It's like, yes, teach them sales. Yes, teach them uh, management and leadership. But we also need to be teaching them investing. But what to do with that money. You see that in every industry, though, even the real estate industry. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the people that are most guilty of that in the real estate industry are realtors and wholesalers. Mm-hmm. Wholesaling is a money-making machine. It's a hamster wheel of cash flow. Mm-hmm. And the guys that are really, really talented at it, like, they're the ones you see on Instagram driving Ferraris and stuff like that because right. they have they've mastered... The f- it's sales. The, yes, they've mastered <laughs> sales. They've mastered sales, and uh-huh. and they're making a million, two million, three million dollars of of income mm-hmm. annually. But like a lot of those guys will reach seven figures of income, and they'll have zero properties that they own, which is 
Flippers flippers do the same thing. Flippers do the same thing. They get in the habit. Well, flippers are wholesalers do the same thing. They have an oppressive tax rate that they pay, which Mm -hmm. is crazy, like 46% or something. Yeah. Um, So, but they get used to that, the, the stress and the, the like dopamine hit of like the, the chase. Mm -hmm. Flippers are the same way there. There's like, we've got to get it done. We've got to like, we're going to do a hundred houses this year. And they get, they get used to that. If those guys only held back 10 of them a year, like 10 years later, they'd, mm-hmm. they'd make $5 million a year and they would ho- own 100 houses. How do you and like? How do you recommend they, they do those 10 houses? Is it five long-term leases? Is it, you know, four Airbnbs? You know, it, how, how would you diversify that? Well, for those guys, I mean, they, if they're heavy cash flow on, on their primary business, like you, mm-hmm. like you don't need short-term rentals because unless you want to use them. For personal it, use. It could be a shiny object. Well, yeah, but they're short-term rentals. Like, one of the best strategies to do if, if you're just coming up on it from an income standpoint and you're not, like, flush with cash mm-hmm. is probably, like, five long-term rentals and then a short-term rental. Or short-term rental, five long-term rentals, another short-term rental. Okay. Because you can consider a short-term rental in this market probably, depending on where you buy it and as long as it's a good one, it should do two thousand twenty five hundred bucks a month, mm-hmm. up to crazy numbers. Yeah, and, and like ten grand a month. It's all about how deep you go into it, right? Yeah. And and so you do the short term rentals for cash flow because your long term rentals are only going to return somewhere between two hundred bucks to six hundred dollars a door. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's why everybody gets discouraged in the long-term rental market Makes a lot because of sense. they're like, oh, my God. And they so, they're celebrating with their wife, toasting champagne, and, like, the first profit check comes in, it's 250 bucks. Yeah. And you hold the thing for six months, and you get a water heater go out, and it's 1500 bucks, and you haven't made any money. You're, and you're like, what yeah. am I doing? And, and, like, that's where everyone loses their steam. Mm-hmm. It, it's like houses one to eight, and, and like, they can't stay in the game long enough because they're like, fuck this. I've, I had one tenant that's terrible. Mm-hmm. Like, they called me at 2 o'clock in the morning. I had to change the toilet. I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. We got three houses. We're selling them all. Like, you see that over and over and over and over again. Or you go in reverse and you buy 35 doors in one year. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're like, I got to do this at a different level in yep. order to get that dopamine hit of some serious cash flow. <laughs> sure, sure. And, like, Different levels, different devils, and you, yeah. just, you just deal with problems on a different scale. But like, um, but a lot of the times, I, I think that long-term rentals will build you massive amounts of wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have to decide the asset class you want to be in. Do you want to be in residential real estate? Because if mm-hmm. so, there's just different asset classes that are they they serve different purposes. I mean, if you own a bunch of single-family homes, you're going to get a boatload of appreciation over the years. If you own a 20-unit apartment complex, you're going to probably cash flow pretty nicely. Mm-hmm. And, and that thing's going to rise in value, but not not at the rate that your single-family houses are going to rise. Mm-hmm. But it's a solid, performing business, and it's scalable because you've got 20 units under one roof. Mm-hmm. You've got one roof and one sewer system and one whatever, boiler, yeah. Yeah. right? And, and so... Um, it, there's there's economies of scale that come with that that are that are positives, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, the the long term rentals are easy. Um, it's an easy way to enter real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but most people don't have the patience for it. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's probably why I haven't gotten into it at this point. You right. know what I mean? I definitely lack patience when I had boatloads of cash, you know, because I could make it so fast. It's like, why would I wait on a $200 a month, you know, rental or something like that? Well, you have to kind of just understand that maybe it's your investment strategy and you're going right. to buy one a quarter. You got you to gotta compartmentalize that at least. And then you're just going to leave it. Because mm-hmm. think about doing that. I mean, if you bought 10 years ago, bought one house every three months and just went out. 30 miles mm-hmm. uh, east of town in, in Seguin or something Yeah, and bought an $80,000 house 10 years ago. It was probably 40 mm-hmm. and, uh, it, and just bought one a quarter. And I mean, at this point you'd own 40 houses. They'd right. be worth 225 a piece mm-hmm. and you'd have done dollar cost averaging over that 10 years and bought them at whatever the market rate was at that time. What is that? Sixteen grand a month, and that's that's without pulling anything out and doing anything with it, right? Well, I mean, yeah, they they would. Did I do that math right? Forty houses. Yeah, two hundred twenty-five dollars. Well, yeah, 200. yeah. I mean, like, let's say forty houses. They they that's would eight rent. Grand a month. They would rent for forty grand. Uh huh. I mean, at this point, like minimum a thousand bucks a month. They would probably rent for fourteen hundred each. I mean, mm-hmm. so you'd be running a nice little, a nice size little business. I mean, gotcha. 55, 60K gross a month. <laughs> oh, yeah, gross. Yeah, gross. yeah. But I mean, but at that point, you would have bought, I mean, you'd have 10 years of debt payment. Uh-huh. You would have bought half of them at under 75K. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They'd all be worth over 150 or more at this Yeah, you'd point. be collecting what? Like, that's a lot per house. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I mean, like some of your PITIs on those things would have been like four hundred seventy-five dollars, and uh-huh. you're doing fourteen hundred bucks. I mean, like some of those at this point would be doing a thousand dollars a month. That's crazy. In, in net, and that's in ten years. Yeah. So and I'm thirty-seven now. I can pull that off by the time I'm forty-seven easily. Yeah, yeah. So like mean, a good retirement plan, even though, like we talked about today, we're never going to retire. Right. 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 Uh, yeah. Understandable, but like. If you understand that that's what you're going to do and you're just going to take and, – and those type of deals, like let's say you're going to buy a $100,000 house. It costs you $25,000. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to earmark a fortune for it. You're just going right. to put $25,000 in it, set it, and forget it, let your management take it, mm-hmm. and like not pay attention to it anymore. And, and that would be my thing. You know, we talked about it a little bit today as well, that, that management piece, it, that, that would have to happen or else – I think y'all talked about that you pigeonhole yourself into a new job. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's managing the properties. Yeah. And we were talking about building too many verticals in the real estate space and trying to manage them all mm-hmm. at, at too fast of a clip. And we've got some people that are doing that right now. And they're... Okay. I mean, you're if you try to do too many things, you're, you're operating at 60% across five different things, right? right. So that's what we discussed. Versus right? you go super deep make a shitload of money at the one thing you can afford to hire the people to run the other things you know yeah <laughs> kind of like Brittingham, you know is yeah. a good example of that 100 yeah. yeah and there's a lot of people that do that type of stuff and, mm-hmm. and you can get you can own and dominate each of those verticals it you just have to do them systematically mm-hmm. like brandon's a great example of someone that's done that he started in the retail real estate space selling mm-hmm. properties then he created a brokerage and he went from there and then he started buying investment properties mm-hmm. and now he runs like the largest brokerage on the east coast and has 
1500 doors and a mm-hmm. full-time flipping business, a rehab business, a mortgage business, home building, a management <laughs> business and a ground up business. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that didn't happen overnight. That's been 17 years in the making. Well, and I think at some point talent becomes a factor, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like dude's got a, a, a talent for that. Okay. So let me ask you this. I've, I've leased probably 20 offices in my career and uh you know each time i sign that lease i'm like man you've got to get into commercial real estate like you're leasing all these offices there's always a need for them you're always moving offices you're always paying off contracts and like you know it was the bane of my existence for a long time and now that i'm in consulting i'm I'm gonna end up with one office and that's nice right but i feel like because i've leased so many offices and i've been part of that management process like that may be something that i would be interested in yeah. And, and making it creating, you know, and, and, and here's the concept is, you know, like you saw my office today. Yep. One of the things I appreciated about it is, you know, and they're, they're wasting a lot of square footage <laughs> with those hallways, you know. But, you know, they, they spent time and money and effort in the look of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's a beautiful. It's a beautiful office space. And, like, I would do at a minimum that, but then I would – create you know probably incubators within the space right kind of like a like geek geekdom is one of those places where you've got a bunch of startups in it yeah you know so the offices lease at five hundred dollars i always appreciated the office spaces that had those like uh regal is it regal or um you can go and lease a boardroom for yeah, a little yeah. bit. Um, like co-working space co-working yeah. spaces right? yep. they had it within and then they had like normal offices outside of that sure and it created this energy, you know, and it was all like brand new entrepreneurs paying $500 a month for the little office space. Right. And just, I think I would enjoy that. You know what I mean? If I had multiple locations in, in cities in Texas. Yeah, you got to be careful. It's a slippery I mean, slope. I love commercial because like triple net leases, there's nothing better than it. Because mm-hmm. you, you just offloaded all of your expenses and, mm-hmm. and your taxes. And I hated triple net <laughs> leases. <laughs> Everybody does, yeah. except the landlord. Yeah. Because um, all the landlord's responsible for is, is strictly the loan then. And uh-huh. like that's, that's what, if, if you have a loan. And, and like that's what they have to take care of. I mean, they pass mm-hmm. off all the expenses through CAMs. Mm-hmm. Like if you have to put a new roof on the thing, it's on the tenants. If yeah. you have to, if the taxes go up fifteen percent, it's on mm-hmm. the tenants. Like so, yeah. I mean, it, those are beautiful buildings if you can get into them. Yeah. Um, but like co-working spaces are a little different because you're someone else is on that large lease. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you may be the co-working spot that rents fifty thousand square feet, mm-hmm. and and that company is on the lease for that, right. and then just subleasing, and then you yeah. take fifty thousand square feet and you, you're subleasing it to all your people in there, right. and so it, at a premium. I mean, they they make bank in them mm-hmm. for sure, for sure. Um, man, I'm trying to think Upwork or whatever. Yeah, like it was that that guy mm-hmm. ran like some monster ponzi scheme i think and yeah i got in a lot of trouble but um it it was a major real estate play i mean they were taking down like some some primo real estate space in in big cities like very very prime real estate and so um that bubble popped though unfortunately but Mm -hmm. i think there's ways to do it especially in up-and-coming gentrifying areas where where it's artsy yeah, like this one. Yeah, yeah. Or, or Austin has a lot of spaces like that. Yeah. I mean, it, this one's beautiful. It's exactly like 
what I would think it would be. Throw mm-hmm. some coffee shops in there, a brewery. Right. Like, it, <laughs> I, there's an Upwork in Houston that's in Galleria, which is near where my gym was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I had an office there for a minute, and uh, they had brewery taps and stuff like that that you could just go out and hit the... That's crazy. Full, fill a pint anytime you wanted, mm-hmm. grab a coffee anytime you wanted, and, like, that was part of the perks of having an office there. So it was it was a little too um, not work-related for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay, so I guess a little less uh, tactical here and more into the impact that you're making in your group. Sure. So can you walk me through kind of the – the concepts that you executed, I'm, I'm getting, and this is just a guess, executing in your, your own business, your own life, and you started seeing results, and so you're kind of bringing that to your group? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I have had a lot of experiences. I've uh, done a lot of things, from special operations to business ownership to the corporate world. Um, I've been successful in a lot of things. I've failed at most things, mm-hmm. um, which gives me a lot of experience and uh, wisdom. Uh, I, I've run masterminds for probably five or six years now, okay. uh, for different organizations. I, I run a, a fairly large mastermind for, for a gym mentoring company, mm-hmm. um, that is a high end upper echelon gym owner mastermind that I okay. run. Um, and this inner circle, uh, tactical empire one was just a passion project that I started about 18 months ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted a group of men that we would kind of have our, our core tenants, our pillars, um, and build leaders out of the group. And ultimately with the, the focus on family and being better husbands and being better fathers, um, Mm -hmm. while, while pursuing financial freedom and, it's mostly entrepreneurs in the group. Uh, there are some there are some corporate guys in there, yeah. but uh, mostly everybody's kind of on this same journey and mm-hmm. same path of like pursuing growth and pushing the limits of what they're capable of, but also like trying to make a shit ton of money for themselves <laughs> and their family yeah. ultimately. Because I mean, I, I I don't really shy away from that topic. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's important. I, I noticed that, and I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. I, I think money is a beautiful tool, and I mm-hmm. think I think it can be just like anything else. It can be used for good. It can be used for evil. It could yeah. be whatever. Uh, I, I think the amplification of who you are is going to happen the more money you make. Uh, but the more high-value, high-integrity men we can get to mm-hmm. a level of wealth it's, it's going to allow them to make a larger impact. And like, that's, what's important to me. A hundred percent. And you see it all the time. Like all these people talk about the grandfathers and the men of integrity and the men that they were, but it's like, you know, they made 50 grand a year their whole life. You know what I mean? And it limited the impact that they can make. They made an impact with their family, which is awesome. And at minimum, if that's all we did, we'd have a way better world. You know what I mean? But I think you're called and I'm called to do a lot more than that. You know what I mean? There's, that's the reason why we get up and speak in front of these groups and stuff like that. Um, and leading right into that, you know, the, the last question I typically ask is, uh, what is legacy to you and what legacy do you want to leave behind? Man, the, the legacy I want to leave behind is that, I, I, first of all, I want to finish out my life leave, leading as a man of honor. 
and of high integrity mm-hmm. because I mean I've I've had slip ups in my life. I've I've not always been on the straight and narrow in, mm-hmm. in all different ways of life. I've screwed some things up that I'm not super proud of and like I but I want my kids to ultimately understand that that you don't have to be perfect and you can still be a great human mm-hmm. and you can still positively impact as many people as possible. Um, and, and then, like I said today in the group, like mm-hmm. I, I, I want to, I want people to understand how short life is and how important their actual presence in this world is. Cause I think people should like, they go about their business and we get busy and they think they're not important. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I want my kids to truly grow up and believe that they can be whatever, whatever they want to become. I don't want them to fall into like conventional norms or the status quo. Right. And, and so for me, like a lot of that is like leading by example, mm-hmm. because that quote where they talk about like the parents that tell their kids, you can be whatever you want to be. But then the kid turns around and says, well, then why aren't you like that? That quote always resonates with me. And so like it, it it's important to go out there and chase that stuff. And so for, for me, my legacy is with my family ultimately, mm-hmm. but like, I, I do want to continue to impact young men. Um, growing up without a father was a, a very vital part of my progression and growth. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, I spoke to a, a football team, in, a high school football team earlier this year. I, I just enjoy impacting young men because I think it's very important. And so, like, I, I enjoy running the group that I run, but like you guys are all peers of mine. You guys are all my age, but what I want to do is I want to teach you financial aptitude investment strategies so that you guys can all go out and create your own fucking groups and like have hundreds of people under you and, and just impact more and more men and which will create better households, more structural soundness in Mm -hmm. what we're growing as Americans and as a society. And, um, I, I think it's just that that's where change starts. Mm-hmm. So, man, we almost have to do another episode so we can talk about that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because we got to get Ryan to church. You know what I mean? He's got stuff to do. But uh, no, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you sharing that with us. You know the the what others may see as the kind of the boring real estate stuff and the 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 fun legacy stuff. You know, it's all both very important. And like you said, it's it's a, a takes a longer to get that satisfaction with the uh, residential real estate and everything, but you know, look what you end up with. Yep. You know what I mean? And uh, I believe in that very much. So I just want to thank you for coming on the show. And if, if, if somebody wants to join the group, where do they go to do that? Uh, you can just DM me at Instagram is probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. It's just real okay. Jeff Smith. Okay. Real Jeff Smith. Yep. And you can email me at Jeff at the real Jeff com as well. And I'm, I'm happy to chat with anybody. Awesome. So. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, growing with you guys in the group, and uh, let's get building. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Building Great Sales Teams. Be sure to execute on what you just heard, and let's get building. As always, remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you consume podcasts. You can also head on over to buildinggreatsalesteams.com and sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date with everything that's going on with the podcast. See you next time.